Good morning, friends. I have much more to say to you, but you can't handle it now. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He won't speak on his own, but will say whatever he hears and will proclaim to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and proclaim it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That's why I said that the Spirit takes what is mine and will proclaim it to you. Soon you won't be able to see me. Soon after that, you will see me. Some of Jesus' disciples said to each other, What does he mean, soon you won't see me, and soon after that you will see me? And, because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean by soon? We don't understand what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so he said, Are you trying to find out from each other what I meant when I said, Soon you will see me, and soon after that you will see me? I assure you, you will cry and lament, and the world will be happy. You will be sorrowful, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman gives birth, she has pain because her time has come. But when the child is born, she no longer remembers her distress because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. In the same way, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and you will be overjoyed. No one takes away your joy. In that day, you won't ask me anything. I assure you that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Up to now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so your joy will be complete. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jennifer, for reading our scripture, sharing your story. I think what's really significant, again, about her story is that this is everyday life. This is our everyday life with Christ and the deep and powerful reminder that she received in the, in the operation or the recovery room waking up, God had been with her the whole time. God is with us all the time in the midst of our circumstances, which sometimes dominate our vision, dominate our thinking. When things are challenging, we seem to focus on that, but God is with us. And that, that testimony is a powerful reminder for us in that and a good segue in today's sermon. What's significant for us uh, right now in this season of Lent is that we have an opportunity to be in prayer together. We are becoming a praying church, and in and through this season of 40 days of prayer, we have an opportunity again to continue to sign up to pray from home, pray from the prayer room. We made it into the Seattle's Vineyards newsletter this week. They wrote a paragraph about this 40 days of prayer and this prayer room that we have. Uh, So we are banding together with churches in the area to pray this 40 days of prayer. So find the link, sign up. We are becoming a praying church. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Pastor Raul, and uh, we are in the midst of a series called Seasons. This is launching off of Ecclesiastes 3, where there is a time and a place for all things in life. And we've been talking about all kinds of seasons, waiting reducing courage. And today, we're talking about the unknown, about living in the mystery. So the context of this, John 16, this is actually the Last Supper. We're sort of out of order. Next week, we're talking about uh, the triumphal entry, which is like four days before the Last Supper, but forget the timeline. It's okay. We're, it, it's going to be okay. So today, today is the Last Supper. And in John, verse, uh, chapters 13 through 17, is this really, it's, this, it's Jesus' final sermon. It's his final sermon to his disciples before he departs. And he's encouraging them, encouraging them in all these ways and all these things that they should know and be aware of and believe. And he basically tells them, 
I'm going to go away for a little while, and I'm going to be back. And in the meantime, you need to live in the mystery. And in all that whole sermon, the thing that the disciples end up keying on is not all the things that they can do, but all the, the ways in which Jesus isn't giving them definite timelines. He's going away? He's going away? Where is he going? Is he, he's going to be back soon? When? We don't understand what he's talking about. And this indefinite timeline that he gives them creates all this fear and this anxiety in them because they don't know, they don't know what to do. Even though he has been telling them what to do, they're living in fear and anxiety. And the truth is, is that I can relate to that. You see, when I was 19, my parents split up. And as a result of that split, my dad moved out of the house. And I went into crisis mode, pushing my parents, uh, uh, really demanding answers, demanding timeline. What's going to happen? Why is it happening? When, if, is dad coming home? And I never got those. I, I didn't get those answers while I was pushing for them. And at the same time, in the same season, I became a Christian. My, I didn't know when my father was coming home and I needed a father. And our heavenly father took me in. And it was this really sweet season that I was beginning to walk amidst or in parallel with this really harsh one. And I just wanted the goodness of that to continue to maintain. And I didn't know what was coming. And so in, in a harsh ways and in a sweet way, I was stepping into life into a very big mystery. And I did not know how that was going to resolve. Have you ever had your certainty dashed, been thrust into a mystery, been wondering, where is Jesus? When is he going to return to me? Or perhaps you're living in a really sweet season right now, and you're trying to maintain that and elongate that and not sure what to do. Perhaps that's protecting the innocence of your kids from the harsh world. Perhaps that's keeping a good relationship going in the honeymoon season as long as you can, but not sure what's going to be coming. What season of life are you living in right now? What mystery are you facing right now? Living in mystery, it's, it's a hard necessity of life. And many of us get caught in fear and anxiety, like I said. Fear of anticipated loss. Wondering what the new reality is going to require you to give up. And so we fret about that. And we get worried. Or anxiety about trying to control all the forces that cause change to come. And not being big enough, not being enough to be able to control all that. So we, we spin out and think of all the worst case scenarios and how we're going to be able to manage them. You see, the thing is, is that mystery comes to us all. And for a lot of, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I usually focus on what I can't do. All the things that I can't control. All the things that I don't know are coming. 
And that's what I focus on in the midst of hardship and fear and mystery. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that Jesus is trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us that mystery calls us into what we can, not what we can't. Mystery calls us into what we can, not what we can't. This is the good news in John 16. We are given promises we can act on while we live in the mysteries of life. Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to comfort us while we struggle and muddle through our lives. In particular, Jesus promises to be with us in the struggle, not extricate us from it. And this is the thing my wife keeps telling me. I don't want you to solve my problems. I want you to listen and be in it with me. And this is what Jesus is promising. He's saying, I will be with you and I'll demonstrate it. I will come to you. And when I go, I will send the comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. And this is in line with what we see in Revelation 21. Because in Revelation 21, where the apostle, the, uh, apostle John has received this vision from God about what is to come, where Jesus is taking this whole thing. And you know what he sees? He doesn't see this, this big airlift of humanity off of this rock. No, you know what he sees? He sees the new heavens and the new earth, and they come down. You know where they land? They land right here where you're sitting. We are sitting where the new heaven and the new earth will come to us. This is, this is where this whole thing is going. So if that's the case, do you know what that makes us? That puts us on the front lines. We are battlefield medics. Do you know what they did in the war? They ran out into the fray to go find the injured, to bandage them up, to heal them. We have been given medicine, good news salve that we are to apply to the world, to the people around us, to the people we love most. We are to speak the good news and apply this good news salve. And you know when that good news salve hits people, the Holy Spirit can do work, can heal, can transform. We are part of the work that God is doing in the world. So let's have courage. Let's have courage to go and apply that good news salve. And the truth is that we suffer we do suffer a lot, just like everybody else. And we kind of carry this burden of just longing for Jesus to return. But the best we have is this indefinitely soon. And we wait. But if we know that this waiting is a part of the plan and that God is with us while we wait, then living in the mystery becomes an opportunity to live a good news life for ourselves and for others. And when I say mystery, I'm defining it as inherently something that cannot be fully known. We cannot know what will happen or how the situation will turn out and if our kids will be safe or where the money will come from. There's so many mysteries out there and we live right in the midst of them. Mysteries can only be known through God revealing the truth to us. And the biggest revealing that God has made to us is a mystery itself. That God became hu human in Jesus Christ. 
You see, this is a, this is a great mystery because why would an all-powerful God decide to reduce God's self into a human person that was dependent on other humans to care, to raise up, to love, to be in relationship with. Why would an all-powerful God do this? And at the same time, it's this great revealing because God essentially tips God's hat. My heart is to be with you. So if that requires me to come down, to be in the midst with you, then that's what I'll do so I can show you I love you, so I can show you I care for you, so I can show that I care about your suffering and suffer with and for you. This is the God that we serve. And even more, God promises that you'll never be alone because when Jesus returns, I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. We are never alone, even in the midst of our mundane and mysterious moments. God is with us, just like Jen was telling us. God is with us, and we just need to know how to look. So let's take some lessons that the disciples missed on that fateful Last Supper night. Let's see with the eyes of faith what the disciples could not see. For mystery calls us into what we can, not what we can't. Our first point there is we can know God's plan. Beginning in verse 16, soon you won't be able to see me. Soon after that, you will see me. Some of Jesus' disciples said to each other, what does he mean? Soon you won't see me, and soon after that you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean by soon? We don't understand what he's talking about. It's kind of difficult. Let's give it to them. It is. It's a little complicated and, you know, enigmatic. But here's the thing that we know on this side of things. Jesus was talking about that he will die, and three days later he will rise again. And I think one of the significant reasons that the the disciples couldn't fathom that is because they had a vision problem. They couldn't see. See, the only thing they, they could see was their own plans for who Jesus would be. They didn't have eyes for God's plan for who Jesus would be. God's plan, it's called an open secret. That means the truth is made available for all, but only those who recognize and acknowledge Jesus as Savior will see it. Many think they see because they live good in moral lives. They're caring, they're accepting, they're peaceful, so they feel like they have life figured out. They can see it all. But Jesus tells us that any who claim to see, they're actually blind. Blind to the fact that we're all born evil and sinners by nature. Our eyes, like our hearts, have scales upon them, and they're full of self-serving desire. This is why many have seen Jesus' life and death and resurrection, but they do not perceive what it means. They're blind. Belief in Jesus recovers our human nature from the, from the evil it has become due to sin, and back to the image of God It was at the first. So if you believe Jesus is your Savior, believe that you are a new creation. 
You are a new creation in God. And if Jesus is your Savior, then the scales have fallen off of your eyes and your heart, and you can see God's plan. And even while you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you can know God's plan. What is God's plan? What is the Father's plan? I tell you, the Father's plan, it's a rescue mission fully based in, in love for God's creation and his people. The Father's initiative isn't based in our performance. God didn't do this because we were good. But rather, God's own motives and his love for his people drive him to come and to rescue us and not rescue us from afar, but rescue us in person. To fully demonstrate and solidify God's commitment to redemption and reconciliation, the Father sent his one and only Son into the world to be what no one else could be. No other God can be the living bridge between humanity and God. We walk upon God. We walk upon Christ to return to the Father. Jesus becomes love in the flesh. He had his arms stretched out on the cross for our sin and then became the way for us to become new creations by conquering death and rising, rising from the dead. No other God does this. He is both our model, which you'll hear that all throughout culture. Jesus was a good prophet, and Jesus was a wise person. Jesus is a model for us and for the world, but for few, he is also the one means to new life. Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the life, and that's singular. The one way, the one truth, the one life, and whoever believes in him can ride Jesus's wave of peace and grace and forgiveness right back to the Father. And if this is you this morning where you've been unsure, you've been curious, you've been questioning, know that the work is done. All that God asks is that you believe that his son Jesus is the Christ, is the one who comes and accomplishes this rescue mission. He will return you to the Father this morning. This is God's plan for salvation for his people. Do you know what his plan was for growing the church? It was that Jesus would go away. You see, post-resurrection, Jesus returns to the Father, and he just leaves the disciples there. He just leaves them there. And he says, go, grow the church. I will send you the Holy Spirit. But go, move do the work that you've seen me doing. What a great leadership model to just leave and to let them have at it. See, this is where you come in. This is where you're involved. Because you and your story, as we've been showing you all throughout Lent, this is what grows the church testimony. What is God doing in your life? You are a part of the great plan to grow the church. It's not just to consume. We must resist the context we are in. It is not to consume what we're delivering here. 
It is that you go and you share your story in which God is at work in your life and you invite others to experience that as well, to follow Jesus Christ. This is God's plan for growing the church. You are God's plan for growing the church. So don't hoard it. Don't hold it back. Share what you have been given. Make God's plan known to those in your life. And I wish I would have had this kind of rootedness when my cousin Tori asked me 12 years ago now or so, when you say good news, what are you talking about? What is the good news? And I wish I would have just had this rootedness in the, this kind of good news salve idea so I could have just shared with her. But instead I told her about... <laughs> you know, the technical terms for salvation and, and resurrection and like these various things. I kind of get off in a tangent. And she was like just, uh-huh, uh-huh. She didn't know what I was talking about. And the truth is, is that I didn't know that she was simply asking, why? Why do you follow Jesus? If I had understood that, I would have told her about the comfort of God's presence in my life. I would have told her that God was like a father to me when I didn't know when, if, my father would return home. I would have just told her that I know God's plan is real because I can feel his presence with me. And that's our next point. In the midst of living in our mysteries, we can feel God's presence. So verse 7, I assure you that it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will show the world. Oh, too far. I went too far. So he sends the companion. Okay, we got it. (laughs) All right, verses uh, 12 and 13 here. I have much more to say to you, but you can't handle it now. However, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you in all truth. He won't speak on his own, but will say whatever he hears and will proclaim it what is to come. He will proclaim what is to come. When we can see God's plan, we can feel God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is called the Spirit of truth with intention because truth reveals God's presence with us. Even in the midst of mystery, the Spirit is comforting us by constantly proclaiming the truth over us, that we are loved, that we are enough, and that in Jesus Christ, we are not only saved, but we can overcome the world. We must be reminded of this truth. This truth must be proclaimed over us. And proclamation, this word proclaim, is repeated three times in verses 13, 14, and 15 of this passage. And it's such such an important idea. The the Greek word for it is analeho. And it's to announce, to proclaim. And the definition is this. Clearly declaring a thought that shows it has gone through all its necessary stages. In other words, it's an announcement that a thought has been actualized and is now complete. So what is the Holy Spirit proclaiming to us? He's proclaiming 
that Jesus' work is complete. The salvation, the rescue mission is complete. You see, if Jesus doesn't go away, then his work is not complete. But if Jesus does go away, then his work is complete and the Holy Spirit can come. And what does he proclaim? He proclaims that Jesus, it is done. It is done. The work is complete, so believe it. Believe in the work of Jesus Christ in your life, not just to save, but to ongoing bring you into the presence of the Father so that you too may go and be the church, may go and do like Jesus did. The Spirit's proclamation over us is an ever-present reminder that we are new creations with abundant life flowing out of us. We need to feel God's presence and hear this good news or we will be overcome and entrenched in the lies of the world. And this, this church is why we must never tire of speaking the good news, the truth over and to one another. When we tell each other the good news, we spur each other on to love and good needs, which is the cornerstone of our Christian witness. I tell you, God's presence is in the gospel truth that we remind one another of. And Ephesians 5 says it so well. Be careful to live your lives wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Because of this, don't be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. Don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Instead, be filled with the Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Feel God's presence in you so it can spill out to others. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to each other out of respect for Christ. I love how that passage goes. Submit to each other out of respect for Christ. To me, it sounds like he's saying, preach the good news to one another all the time and when necessary, use words. Because the truth is, The most powerful preaching doesn't happen from the pulpit. It happens in your everyday lives. It happens in your actions. It is the daily decisions we make to either submit and be humble or to dominate and win. Both of those preach. So what is your life preaching? What is your life proclaiming? In the midst of living our mysteries, we can feel God's presence and others can feel the presence of God in us. Just like anxiety or discouraging attitudes can affect those around us, so can living in hope, living with peace, being forgiving, living with love. Don't be overcome by life's mysteries, but tune in to God's presence. 
and preach an in-the-flesh sermon with your daily lives. I've had this kind of conviction upon me for many years. I, I've been, I was called to ministry in 2004, uh, my first quarter at SPU, through prayer, through a vision. Uh, the, essentially, it was, uh, I saw a, a pillar, like a Roman pillar, and on the top of it, there was this word pastor. And in a moment, below it, there were seven red, ripe strawberries. I have a lot of thoughts, interpretations about that, but the one I want to share with you is about the word pastor. You see, for me, that the initial impression upon me was, I need to go and do what I'm doing here in front of you today. I need to be a Sunday morning preaching pastor. And when I've done that, then I am accomplishing God's will for my life, God's call upon my life. And so I pushed hard for that. And I really struggled and strived for that. But the, the, the discouraging thing in that struggle was from 2004 to 2014, I just worked. I was, I was in banking. I worked at a university. Uh, I did all kinds of stuff that wasn't being a Sunday morning preaching pastor. And over the course of time, I came to realize that that word pastor wasn't about a role. Because this role that I even feel here today, this doesn't define me. This doesn't, all of what I am called to, all of who I am, cannot be confined by a 14-hour-a-week role, and neither can it for you. God is calling us to, we are more than just that. And so I realized that God wasn't calling me to a role. God was calling me to character. God, has, God had told me, I have put the spirit of a pastor in you, a shepherd so you need to live a life according to the spirit that I put in you. And that is a daily, that is a daily struggle, a daily striving. And what he helped me understand in and amidst all that was that if I could focus on the character that he is calling me to, then eventually what I need to do to do God's will, it will come. It will be revealed. And that's our last point. We can do God's will. In the midst of our mysteries, in the midst of the unknown, we can do God's will. God's will is that you demonstrate to the world that you can have joy through suffering, all through faith in Jesus Christ. In the same way, a mother suffers through labor, but retains her joy when seeing her child is the same way God is calling us in the midst of our laboring pains, in the midst of the struggle and the confusion, to live out joy, the joy of the Lord. And see, there's a difference between joy and happiness, because happiness is like, after church, I'm going to go to five guys and they're going to make my burger right, right? And they're going to salt my fries just the way I like them. And so I'm happy because it was delivered, my expectations were met. The day is good. Or I'm sad because they're, they're out of double patty burgers or something. You know, like that's, happiness is based on the circumstances around us. And so we, we ebb and we flow based on what is happening, if we're getting our expectations met, if we're getting what we want or not. That is not the way with joy. Joy is rooted in confidence in who Jesus Christ is. Does Jesus change? Does God change? No, God is ever present. God is ever the same with us. So our joy 
can be ever the same in the Lord. Our circumstances, yes, will change. We will suffer or we will, we will be well. But that does not drive our joy. Our joy is found in the Lord. And if you lack joy this morning, but you want to do God's will, then all you have to do is ask. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be complete, is what it says. And this morning, I want to risk taking you through a prayer exercise. You all willing? Nah. (laughs) What I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you like a cup, like a bowl. And with eyes closed, I want you to let your mind go to those, the stressful, mysterious places you're living in, the burdens you're carrying, the confusion about how to keep this good thing going. I want you to take where you're struggling and striving, and I want you to pour it into your hands. Then imagine that Jesus' hands are below yours. And when you're ready, I want you to open your hands and release your burdens to God. And if you need, if you've got enough burdens to do it again, then you do it again. You see that pain, you see that hurt. And you put it into the bowl of your hands. And open your hands to release your burdens to Christ. What does he do with your burdens? And now I want you to have, split your hands and have two cups. One on the left and one on the right. And I want you to ask Ask Christ. I want you to ask for what you want from him. Tell him what you want from him. And then in your right hand, ask Jesus to give you something he wants to give you. In this moment, if you were given a word or an image from the Spirit, then I encourage you to write it down, to record it, record what you were given. The Spirit may be giving you what you need to both spiritually heal and to perhaps even missionally do. So be careful to give thanks and to act. Some, though, may not have felt they got a word through this prayer practice. Do not worry. Because the truth is, we have all already been given a word through Scripture. You see, in the Gospels, Christ told people to walk out their faith. He says, follow me. Pick up your mat and walk. Go get the water from the well. Stand up. If you reread the miracles of Jesus, he's always telling people to move, 
to do something, to stop being stuck in mystery, to enter into the new life which they were called into. So in mystery, it's important for us to do the Christian faith even while we wait for what God will reveal to us next. So if you are desiring to live out that joy of the Lord, perhaps you need to ask God for you to to help love your neighbor. Perhaps you need courage to invite that person that the Spirit has been prompting and putting on your heart to just invite them to Easter. Take a bold step. Perhaps you need to be given love to be able to pray for that person you hate. Perhaps you need a generous spirit to stop hoarding your life, to stop hoarding your materials so you can have a generous spirit and give them away. Perhaps you need forgiveness to say, I'm sorry. Or the hope to believe that when you do acts of mercy, when you act for those who need it, that this is furthering God's plan in the world. Start in any of these places. In the midst of your mystery, you will be doing God's will. So here's the conclusion. All people suffer and live in mystery. The difference is those who wallow in it and those who harness it. Unless you know and follow Jesus, you will have fear and anxiety about the future If you are solely responsible for your future but lack the ability to know it or control it, you will live a life of fear and anxiety. Jesus never said there wouldn't be mystery. Jesus here in his final sermon gives his disciples the blueprint of how to follow him while he's gone for a little while. This is us. It wasn't to have certainty in the future It was to know God's plan, feel God's presence, and do God's will all with joy. So, after four years of being split, and I had already gone off to SPU, I'd moved up here to Seattle from Southern California, met a woman, Sarah, we got married in 2007, and at our wedding, my parents actually reconciled. You see, what's, in, what's, what's interesting is to just, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible thing, four years split and then a reconciliation. Uh, in and through that season, uh, even though my dad moved home, I'm not moving back home to California. There's consequences for our actions and our decisions. But the thing is, and this is where God is so beautiful, In and through our common suffering, we now have a common faith. My whole family has come to Christian faith, even to the point where my dad's coming to Malibu this year, which is pretty awesome. So I am and Jesus is calling you to have eyes up, as Jen said, eyes up in the midst of our suffering and realize that our suffering has more meaning and purpose than just to wallow in it. It has the greater purpose that is found only in the body of Christ. And that's what we get to do here this morning. We get to share in the body of Christ because the truth is is that Jesus didn't die so we could have individualized spiritual experiences. 
No, Jesus died so we could be the body. He stretched out his arms on the cross so he could gather us together like a mother hen that loves her chicks. And the call to us as we are together in the body using our different gifts is various means by which we can go to be battlefield medics and go and apply that good news salve on the world. So this This is our call, even in the midst of living in your mystery, in the unknown, and not knowing the timing, and not knowing where the resources are going to come from. We still can do God's will together. So let us remember that and harness that as we go out into the world to spread the good news. On the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he preached his final sermon, Jesus took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. And in like manner, he took the cup, and upon blessing it, he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. The new covenant that says, It's not how you fulfill the law, and it's not how much you sacrifice, and it's not by being even good. I have paid for it all with my life. So when you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me, in remembrance of who you are in me. So I'll invite our servers forward. We have three stations for us to receive this morning, one on each wing and uh, one here in the front. If you're coming to receive on the front, we'll go down this way and return this way. And we also have, if you are having, if the Spirit is speaking to you, you're ready to surrender a part of your life, I encourage you to come and pray with our prayer ministers this morning. And I forgot to ask Scott to come and serve communion with me. So, Scott, can you serve communion with me? Let us come and worship the Lord.